This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, I'm Philip C and welcome to The Breakfast Grill. On today's Breakfast Grill, we are in conversation with Ng Yi Chung, Malaysia partner at AC Ventures. Now, AC Ventures is a leading Southeast Asian venture capital firm investing in early stage fa- startups all across Southeast Asia. A very good morning to you, Yi Chung. How are you keeping? I'm doing very well, Philip. I really appreciate you taking time for this. Now, AC Ventures had its roots in Indonesia, established about 15 years ago. Why did you decide to set up shop in Malaysia two years ago? Uh, so that's a very interesting question. I think it's a combination of different events. Uh, if you may recall, I think two years ago was also the uh, give or take the start of the uh, COVID pandemic. And uh, it's also one of the primary reasons why uh, I came back to Malaysia after spending about five years in Jakarta. Um, and in that particular time, um, governments all around the world were uh, driving some form of fiscal stimulus. And a big part of that program was the Panchana Capital Program, mm. uh, where the government effectively helps to match fund a bunch of funds uh, into investing into Malaysia. Um, AC Ventures was uh, very fortunately uh, part of that program, and uh, that was a key driver in setting up the Malaysia office and the Malaysia fund, which today stands at approximately about uh, just shy of 300 million ringgit, uh, where the mandate is to invest in uh, companies beyond Series A, or around Series A and Series B, um, with a particular focus on Malaysian companies, but not limited to. Yeah, we're going to talk about this Panjana Capital collaboration that was announced as, as a result of the pandemic, and you were very much instrumental in driving this. If I look at the progress of your fundraising, you are at the moment of close, your first close of your fifth investment fund. Um, you've had you raised quite a couple of bit. I think on Fund Five, about two hundred fifty million has been raised so far, sixty five percent of that. But Fund Four was focused on Malaysia. What is the mandate specifically for Malaysia? What specific areas of investment? are you looking for in Malaysia? It's, is it still confined to these early stage digital disruptors? That's a very good question. I think if I were to, without, without particularly reading out the uh, LPA or the Limited Partnership Agreement, uh, the high level areas of focus really is, um, number one, I think 70% of the fund is devoted towards uh, Series A, Series B companies. Uh, and uh, the remaining 30% devoted towards uh, uh, quote-unquote growth companies, so beyond Series B. Uh, and, and this is really uh, an allocation, uh, a portfolio construction of sorts uh, for, for the fund. That's the, so that's, that's the first part with regards to stages. I think the second thing is uh, from, a, from a geography standpoint, um, we have been, well, well, on one hand, we have a 50% focus in Malaysia. The remaining 50% is broadly focused across the Southeast Asian or the APEC region, uh, as long as we can find those companies. And I think, like, uh, from as a third point, the from a sector perspective, uh, legally we are agnostic, but we have a particular preference or a particular focus on mobility-related companies. Yeah, I think that's what's very interesting because the always perception is that you're very much focused on logistics, consumer technology, e-commerce, fintech, with a recent tilt towards an intention to do ESG-related climate tech kind of solutions. So has that changed in the past one to two years as we see now, you know, markets evolve and change rapidly? Absolutely, Philip. I think uh, the, way, the way I would think about it is that um, the quote-unquote mandate evolves Per fund, so each fund has a particular or fixed mandate, 
And as uh, more funds have been raised over the last couple of years, as you mentioned, we have about we have, we have five funds over here. Uh, each fund evolved as per the market requirements. So uh, fund five in particular is, 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 is very focused on ESG. Uh, fund four, which is the uh, Malaysia Domicile Fund, is the one that's quite focused on mobility and slightly later stage in all the other funds. Uh, and, 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 and the previous funds were all uh, earlier vintages, so between 2015 and 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I, on, on, a, on a broad basis, to, to, to the short answer to your question is that, uh, yes, we have, we have followed the times, we've followed the market, and, and, and we've followed it with the inception of each fund. And following the market, I guess, requires you to be adapt- adaptive, agile, flexible with the mandates moving forward. You talk about a sector being mobility. I, I wonder out loud, how much funds have you mobilized so far? You know, how much has been invested to date? Mm. So without giving specific uh, numbers per se, uh, for Fund 4 anyway, we've mobilized uh, north of uh, 50% of the fund. And so I think we've probably been active uh, over the last 18 months. Yeah, so 50% of the mobilization of Fund 4, give me, give me a sense of the kind of industries, the sectors, what stage of these businesses are they in at the moment? Absolutely. Um, so I guess let's pick a couple of uh, quote-unquote metrics or variables uh, to, to, to talk through, right? So I guess uh, probably the first most important thing, uh, particularly to uh, listen to the show, is that uh, close to about... I think, if I'm not mistaken, by my last count, close to 50%, just shy of 50% of the funds have been that have been deployed have been deployed into quote-unquote Malaysian companies. And the definition of Malaysian in this in this sense uh, falls into a few buckets of definition, whether it's the founder, whether it's the uh, shareholding, or whether it's the uh, primary uh, geography of business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think uh, for the uh, second bit, from a geography standpoint, I think it's broadly been quite diversified across, uh, I guess, uh, three, three main regions. So uh, Malaysia, Singapore, and Indonesia with the remaining bucket uh, uh, outside of that. Um, so it's relatively well diversified. Um, and from a sector pers- uh, perspective, uh, broadly speaking, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think a, a rough 70, 80% have been in the mobility space. Uh, and that includes the likes of maybe a Carsum uh, in Malaysia. It includes the likes of a GetGo in Singapore uh, or a, a Long9, which is a battery company based in India. So on a, on a very high level, I hope that gives you a sense of uh, the portfolio. You're getting good deals. I mean, valuations have dropped quite a bit, you know, in the past one to two years. I think we understand that across all stages, valuations have fallen to about 30 to 40%. So, you know, if you compare yourself, let's say to three, four years ago, would you have got the same amount of deals as you got with that half of the fund mobilized? Um, that's a good question. I think like as uh, if I were to uh, tell a tale of two cities or I guess two times periods, uh, last year was extremely active. This year, that pace has fallen dramatically. So if, uh, for example, if we did an uh, investment once a month last year, uh, this year would probably be in the region of like one every, I don't know, every uh, three to four months, give mm. or take. So from a pace perspective, that has slowed. Um, that has not slowed from a number of companies we've been seeing, uh, but more so from a, a, a cautious outlook of sorts, especially with markets being relatively volatile. I mean, almost every every month or two, we get a whole new paradigm shift in terms of how markets evolving. And I think uh, one thing to note is that from a macro point of view, uh, not just from a startup or VC point of view, um, we, we don't see, quote unquote, the end in sight just yet. So um, uh, on a very high level, I think what we've been talking and telling our portfolio companies to do in, in, terms, of, uh, in terms of what they should be doing over the next uh, 
couple of quarters is really shoring up capital, making sure there's sufficient uh, cash and balance sheet, ensuring that they runway to last any form of uh, substantial volatility in the market uh, that may potentially affect either the business or fundraising. Which explains, uh, so which explains why, you know, investing companies like Carson have begun to lay off workforce, you know, because Absolutely. they have had to show up their balance sheet. They've had to make sure that they have enough capital to ride out this period of incredible volatility and uncertainty. And that's why I was wondering, in your perspective, have you changed your mindset that perhaps it's not growth at all costs? It has to start thinking a bit more about the bottom line, that we are looking at growth in a more nuanced way. Uh, absolutely. So to that point on Carsim, uh, you're absolutely right. So um, Carsim is definitely one of the more uh, better capitalized companies out there. And I think fundamentally, the, from a business metric perspective, it's doing extremely well. So I think like um, at the end of the day, you, you, you typically, if, if you're running a company, you typically don't want to make hard decisions at hard times. You kind of want to make hard decisions earlier or prior to that. I think Carsim is a great example of a company that's doing that despite actually performing extremely well fundamentally. Um, I think with regards to um, to, to to your point on um, growth at all costs, growth at all costs. So on one hand, I think purely from a asset class perspective, growth is important. I think like uh, that that's extremely important, especially if, if you're investing into an illiquid, a relatively illiquid, uh, uh, risky asset class of sorts. But on the other hand, as you rightfully mentioned, at the end of the day, a company is ultimately measured on its cash flows. I think regardless of the outcome, uh, cash flows are the ultimate measure of uh, how companies perform. Have you changed uh, your runway? Just- have you changed your runway to monetization? Have you looked at it very differently? I mean, Carson talked about listing this year. Now they've delayed their plans. As a result, have you as a group looked at your monetization pathways very differently as a result of this volatile environment? Um, I'm quite uh, pleased to say that I think like uh, even prior to um, the end of 2020. One, I think we've always been a big proponent of looking at uh, real cash flows, um, uh, net revenue as opposed to GMB, and uh, act- actual money flowing to the banks of the of the company. So, um, on one one hand, I, I actually don't think uh, from a from a firm or franchise outlook that hasn't changed very much. Um, so that has always been uh, the bread and butter of uh, how we looked at companies. I think like um, at the end of the day, I think like uh, markets change dynamically all the time. Uh, regardless of when or where we are. And I think one thing we've done relatively well is while our fundamental outlook on the companies have not changed, I think we've adapted relatively well to how the macro market has been has been evolving. What makes AC Ventures so distinctive? What do you bring to the table that perhaps other VC firms can't? On, on a very high level, I think like uh, I, I would break up the uh, quote-unquote value drivers or you know, the value creation pillars of, of, uh, of a VC firm to maybe three or four buckets. The first obvious bucket is, is, is capital. I think that's number one. Uh, but more importantly, I think the quality of the capital. So who's behind that actual capital? Who are the LPs in the fund that uh, could potentially add value beyond just the, the dollars in the bank? Uh, this is popular saying that not all not all dollars are green, or not not yeah, not all dollars are green. And uh, I think it's very true, especially in in, in VC or startup world. Uh, taking a dollar from let's say uh, YC myself, or taking a dollar from Bill Gates, would be extremely different in terms of the the value it brings to the company. So that's number one uh, with regards to, uh, I guess, uh, financial capital. I think the second second important thing that we bring to the table is really network capital. Uh, as, a, as a company or as a startup, uh, you're effectively starting from nothing uh, into something. And and a big part of that is that in that drive uh, to actually create something out of nothing, 
um, you, you typically need a lot more than just money uh, or, ca- or financial sure. capital to to make the make the world go around. And a big part of it is really like whether it's hiring, whether it's uh, business partnerships or uh, collaborations with other corporates and so on and so forth. So that network capital has been extremely instrumental for us in terms of uh, not just attracting the companies to us, but also helping the the, the founders that we work with uh, push their companies, sorry, push their uh, businesses to the next level. Um, I think that that important uh, pillar that is extremely important um, to, to to companies that we, we particularly focus on is this with the team called the value creation team, which is uh, ex- which is particularly devoted towards uh, ensuring that the companies uh, are able to be supported by ACV uh, regardless of the times. And a big part of this value creation team falls into either whether it's hiring, talent acquisition, uh, it could be uh, ESG uh, measurements and audits, uh, and uh, vice versa. So on a, on a long note, I think like VCs are known to be providers of capital, but it's to be honest, a bit more than that. On the Breakfast Grill, I'm in conversation with Ng Yi Chung, Malaysia partner at AC Ventures. Up next, plugging the gaps in Malaysia's VC ecosystem. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Welcome back on The Breakfast Grill. We have with us Ng Yi Chung, Malaysia partner at AC Ventures. As we understand the investments that AC Ventures have made so far in Malaysia. Now, Yi Chung, just now we were talking a bit about the distinctiveness of AC Ventures and you brought up the point about the ability to access the market called Indonesia. Now, there are so many superlatives associated with Indonesia, the fifth largest population in the world, nearly 80 million Gen Zs, millennials. You know, it's fast-paced, fast-growing. It's a platform. The market's incredible. Is that what's driving the the interest of investments in Malaysia, that you make Malaysia the hub to test and try all these new innovative ideas and then you export it over to Indonesia? I think uh, that the two primary points there. So one is about Indonesia's market. And I think the second thing is really about uh, Malaysia's role in that uh, in, in that ecosystem or towards that market. Uh, so let, let, let's start with the latter, actually, I think, uh, which, which I think is uh, a quite a, pro- a prominent topic. I think uh, on one hand, yes, you could see Malaysia as a hub where you could start new ideas, where there's uh, relatively, uh, to some extent, uh, larger propensity for adoption because of higher GDP per capita or higher uh, high, uh, like from a demographic perspective, I think that's one perspective. Um, but I think like the other perspective that I see uh, that that has been uh, a key driver, a key topic amongst our popular companies is that is the opposite way actually. Is where Indonesian founders at some point need to outgrow themselves in Indonesia and need to quote unquote grow beyond Indonesia uh, or expand internationally. Uh, and actually, in Malaysia surprisingly to some extent uh, becomes one of the primary markets in which they should do so it's an adjacent like, market easier to access and it's a next it's a good testing ground for these indonesians who want to go global isn't it absolutely absolutely and uh, i think uh, I, I can't quantify this but in, in you know broadly speaking the bulk of founders i've spoken to in indonesia malaysia is actually their number one choice above that of other countries whether it's thailand vietnam philippines why is that so why is malaysia so appealing for them uh, I think uh, if I were proximity? to, you know, guess, I think uh, proximity, I think maybe one thing, but I, think, I don't think in today's globalized world, that's too much of a problem. I think uh, more so is the, uh, despite being a quote unquote smaller market, absolutely, I think from GDP per capita perspective. So the average, I guess, uh, uh, propensity to spend or propensity to earn for each individual, I think is a lot higher. So it's easier for adoption. 
I think uh, second thing, I think culturally or from a language perspective, uh, it's easy to do business. It's easier for them to do business rather. And uh, I think like uh, that, that makes it easy compared to, let's say, a bunch of the other countries where uh, English is in uh, a core language and uh, such is harder to what is higher or uh, do business development or actually just launch your first product. Um, so on, on a very high level, I think uh, from an ease of business perspective, extremely useful. Uh, and I think the most important point that I've heard typically is even though, uh, let's say, Malaysia from a population perspective is 10 times smaller than that of Indonesia, uh, because of its higher GDP per capita, which is about approximately three times to that of Indonesia, uh, it's not a small market. Mm. It's big enough. Mm, it's big enough. Uh, it, it's big enough. Yeah, absolutely. And and that still makes it very interesting, especially when uh, they can their core markets can remain in Indonesia. That's fair. But they actually make their margins and their profits here. This is quite a part of explain why Indonesia and particularly Jakarta is such a hotbed of VCs and it's such a VC ecosystem is so vibrant and 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 I think you know fast paced and has has a depth and breadth because of the number of problems it has to solve. And you contrast that to Malaysia, where you know many accuse it of being shallow. That's just confined to Bangsa South. Help me contrast, right? Is it true though that you know for us in Malaysia, we are our problems are perhaps not as insurmountable as perhaps Indonesia, and that's why we don't have the depth and breadth of our ecosystem. You know, having having lived in both countries somewhat, in fact, I've lived in uh, Indonesia a lot longer than I've lived in uh, Malaysia as an adult. Um, on one hand, I would like to think that like uh, as, as a country or as a place to live, uh, we quote unquote have less problems in that sense, right? Uh, but like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think like uh, from, a, from a pure user perspective, I think most of these problems are broadly solved across the... Uh, across the, uh, you know, uh, across our lives. I think what's deeper, as you rightfully pointed out, is for me to get, I don't know, a parcel from Lazada, let's say in, in KL versus uh, in, in some city in Indonesia, it is a larger problem. And as such, not just from a population, pure po- absolute counter-population perspective, but also from the, the sheer, quote-unquote, logistics of, of doing so. So uh, the, the, that opportunity is huge, uh, not just because that problem exists or not, but also because the scale of that problem is so big. Uh, I think I think that's the first big point I would say. So that TAM, that total addressable market, is much bigger uh, purely from a scale perspective. And there's no denying that it's pure math. Um, I think the idea that more problems do exist on one hand, yes, that's true. I think uh, whether it's from a scale perspective or whether it's from a developmental, developmental or infrastructure perspective, perhaps. Uh, but I think the other large reason why there's such a you know, Jakarta itself is such a hotbed for activity in general. I think uh, number one, I think the, um, you know, as just as the largest city in Indonesia, I think that's where all the quote unquote talent congregates. Whether it's the external talent, the VC talent versus the internal talent, the uh, founders in this case, or even the corporates. Uh, so. It's quote unquote, the first thing is it's convenient. I think the second thing that is important is that like uh, I think Indonesia over the last couple of years have made it significantly easier for capital to flow in. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but like uh, if you look at Vietnam, for example, it's extremely difficult to get uh, money in or out of the country uh, if you're not transacting at Vietnamese Dong, for example. Uh, whereas in Indonesia, it's a lot easier for, especially if you're a, a USD dominate fund or a Singapore domicile fund to actually uh, invest or part your capital in these kind of companies. Uh, but on top of that, local regulators uh, in, in Indonesia have also made it easy for uh, foreign ownership 
in, in these kind of companies. So just to give you an example, as a foreigner, it, it, you, you can't own land in Indonesia per se. But as a, as a, as a tech company, uh, you're allowed to have foreign investors, uh, in fact. Uh, and uh, that, that makes it easy. So I'm perplexed. I mean, Malaysia, you know, it's not too difficult as well for capital flow. There are regulatory environments that support the tech ecosystem. I mean, the government has made so many positive noises about trying to encourage more tech founders, venture capital into the country. I mean, Panjana Capital, as you said just now, was a classic example. Why is it that our ecosystem is still so shallow? Is it a lack of talent? What is the challenge in Malaysia? Why is it that we cannot rise above and even compete with the likes of Indonesia, let alone Singapore? So, uh, Philip, I think that's a relatively loaded question. So I'm going to try and attack it from one angle, which I think makes sense. I think the, the, the primary reason that is the case, ultimately, at the end of the day, is from a TAM perspective, a total addressable market perspective. That market, Malaysia, purely as a market, is just not big enough. I think there are much larger markets out there, uh, and, and more than one, not just in Indonesia. And I think like uh, if I was trying to solve a big problem to achieve huge results, uh, that would be my first protocol. However, I think like uh, if I were a company uh, domiciled or started in Malaysia, uh, maybe that's how I should be looking at the problem. If the time here is small, it doesn't mean I can't build here and serve elsewhere. In fact, I think as a country, uh, we have actually produced quite a number of amazing companies regionally or globally that, you know, for, uh, if I were to, compare it against anything that or most things that most other companies have produced is pretty impressive. So whether it's the likes of Grab, whether the likes of Carson, uh, whether it's the likes of Property Guru, which uh, I, I stand I stand firm that it's a Malaysian company, uh, as well as uh, whether it's PictoChart, uh, in, based in Padang, or even 123RF, based in Kalana Jaya, which is uh, fully bootstrapped and uh, has been, it's one of the market leaders uh, within the stock photo industry. I think uh, here's a short list of uh, companies that have made it to uh, regional or global scale. And that's just on one end. I think like uh, if we look at the number of Malaysians that actually serve on the um, on even whether it's management teams or even founding teams of uh, regional startups or regional startup champions, I think that number is by no means small by any means. Uh, whether you look at Grab, uh, whether you look at even Carousel uh, or any of the other, other larger companies, I think Malaysians from a talent perspective, there is no lack of depth there. And I need to particularly stress that. And when I hear you, it really sounds like the key strategy is to build this next generation of founders. And wherever they operate, wherever they are, just being proud of being Malaysian, but being able to operate flexibly and agile anywhere they operate, isn't it? The key focus is to nurture the next generation of founders to build talent uh, in the ECV ecosystem? It is not necessarily about the regulatory environment and such? I think if I were to pick being an investor operator myself and having founded two companies myself, I think like uh, that would be the first port of call for me. And the reason that is the case for me, as opposed to starting with this regulation or policy or funding and so on and so forth, is because at the end of the day, at the most fundamental layer of the DNA of a founder, or, uh, which begets their success. It's really their ability to execute. And if we can produce more of that, and if we can nurture more of that, I think regardless of where they end up operating or where they end up building, uh, it's less of a concern because at some point, I think the law of large numbers will hold. Uh, if I want founders to be based in Malaysia, if I 
ensure that sufficient founders are being uh, generated or produced in time, a portion of that will be in Malaysia. Uh, and uh, it's harder to target it purely from a country level. Chung, thank you for all your time. That's all the time we have for today on The Breakfast Grill. Ng Chung, Malaysia partner at AC Ventures. I'm Philip C, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.